talk tonight about um, starting you study about the character of God, what God is like. And we're going to look in Acts 17 through this series, but tonight I just want to read two verses, uh, 17, 22, and 23, as Paul is uh, introducing um, himself to a group of people who are not familiar with the God of the Scriptures. And so encourage you, everybody, you guys stand up. It'd been okay. It would have been okay. <laughs> stand in honor of God's word. Yeah, it works. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Let's pray. Father, you do not desire to be unknown. Um, all of the scriptures tell us that you desire to reveal yourself to us. Basically, the scriptures are that story. That you are the God who does not want to remain unknown. You desire to show yourself to people. You desire for a relationship with you. You desire for an intimacy to be between us and you. And I pray, Father, tonight as we take some time, Father, to look at that study of who you are, Lord. Um, just speak to our hearts, Father. And we leave here with a longing to know you better. For you are the one who knows us completely. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A.W. Tozer, in one of his books, uh, said, The most important thing about a person is what he thinks about God. You can tell about the spiritual future of a person and the spiritual future of a church according to their view about God. And there are a lot of different views about God. Um, some people view God like a celestial Santa Claus that, you know, as long as you're not naughty and you're nice and you make your list and try to do your best, then God will give you, within reason, some of the things that you long for, that you desire. Another picture is that God is like a cop that's hiding out. Just waiting to get you, give you a ticket. And uh, I, I know a couple of times when we'd go to get Atticus and see Matthew, they live in Abington right behind the Creeper Trail in there. And uh, We saw a cop one time. He had backed between two buildings in a place just barely big enough for him to back into. And I thought, that rascal. You know, it's a good thing I wasn't speeding, but I thought, that rascal. And, and some people view God that way, that he's just waiting. You just wait till I catch him or I catch her in the midst of this sin. They got it coming. And then you have other people who view him kind of a similar way as just angry. Just angry. There are others who see God as someone who is detached. Well, I made them, but, you know, I'm just, I'm over them. You know, I'm just finished with them. But who is the God 
of the Scriptures. Who has revealed himself to us. And that's what we want to look at um, on Sunday nights. Uh, in, in Acts 17, Paul gives a description of the God of the Scriptures. Jehovah, Yahweh, that we love so deeply. And theology is just a reasonable account of God's character. Who he is, his personality, what he is like. And from the scriptures, we are able to surmise the character of God. One thing I love um, in the scriptures is the fact that we can know God. He is not a distant deity. He is a close daddy. That's what the scriptures reveal to us. And I think that that is important. God is not out to get you. God is out to know you, to love you, to receive you, to forget. It makes all the difference. Um, it, it's so sad that people think that, that God doesn't love them. And, of course, that's our call is to show them how much God loves people. He died for all of us. I love that in Romans 5, 8 where it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were... Good citizens and people, that's not right, is it? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to get it together. He loved us. And that, that you know, it's a beautiful state of the scriptures. And he calls us to be hungry for him. I, I thought of um, Psalm 42, that first verse. You guys may not recognize the address, but you'll recognize the verse. Uh, it says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. It is a picture of extreme thirst. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, I went to a youth camp. It was centrifuge camp, and I liked to play volleyball. And we got out in the afternoon, and it was really hot. And I got carried away playing volleyball. And I played volleyball too long. And so when it got time that night, you know, to get ready to go to the worship, I'm throwing up and I'm sick and I had, you know, just a touch of heat something, whatever you want to call it, heat stroke or whatever. And man, I was so sick. And I was sick because I didn't quench that thirst. I didn't get out of that sun. I stayed in the wrong place until I became sick. God says, you're thirsty for me. Jesus said, I'm the living water. The one who drinks from me, that, that thirst will be quenched. And people are sick and, and because they're not getting that thirst quenched of God. I love it in Jeremiah 29. You know, we love to quote verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I do love that. God says, hey, I want you to have a future. I want you to have hope. I'm not out to punish you. <laughs> but then the next couple of verses, it says, verse 12, the verse after that, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Isn't that awesome? God says, not only am I supplying you a future, I am inviting you. To come to me. To call me. To call me. 
And then the last verse, verse 13, well, not the last verse, the verse after that, last verse I'm going to quote from Jeremiah 29, 13, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with how much of your heart? All your heart. Man, what a beautiful truth. He says, hey, I have a future for you. You can trust in, you can count on. I'm asking you to call upon me and to come to me and I will answer you. But he says, don't do this halfway. Come to me fully. That prayer retreat, you know, I talked about a couple of times. That guy, he was saying that their altar is open all the time throughout the whole service. And sometimes their services can go to 130. And he said it's it's pretty wild because sometimes he has to stop because somebody's under conviction and they'll just kind of come up there and tap him. And he says, but people are very patient. Um, they're going through that. But he said sometimes when he's preaching, he'll just be like, okay, our relationship is supposed to be close to God. But sometimes we get like this. We're separated from God. He says, how long does God want that to happen? He says, it needs to be dealt with now. I hurt myself. <laughs> he wants us to be close. Close to him. Not to stay out here, but to come close to him and to deal with that. And sometimes... We think about God, we think, well, I've got time. Why do we do that? Come close. Get your thirst quenched. If you're hungry, He will fill you. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? You guys know the Bible. I love it. I love to hear You'll be filled. Hey, Atticus, he, he started coming this way. All right, question two. What can I study to know God better? Well, one of these uh, is creation. It is to look at what God has created. A, a couple of verses, Psalm, let's turn to Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms. Psalm 8, first couple of verses there. He says, starting at verse 1, O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you've ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and avenge. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? He says, as I look at the vastness of the heavens and I look at creation and the beauty that is all around me and how it is so magnificent, why do you even think about little old me? That's what he'd say in Tennessee terms or Virginia terms, mountain terms. Why do you think about me? But it's what God thinks. You know, we live in such a beautiful area. It's pretty easy, I think, to be in awe at times when we see certain views of God's creation. Sunsets, sunrises, just beautiful views in the mountains. Waterfalls on some trails you don't expect to see. and The list goes on and on. I remember um, I had always 
kind of been the area I was in Hendersonville, but in the, I love the Blue Ridge Mountains, Smoky Mountains, Happy Appies, you know. Uh, and I left to go to seminary down in Texas. And I remember a friend of mine who was just, well, he was a mentor. He was just graduating. He said, Todd, get ready. It's flat down there, and you have to pay money to see a tree. you got to go to the zoo. So you don't have any trees down there. And uh, I can remember I got in my car. I had, it, I had a little Toyota Tercel, and I had packed that little car full of stuff. And I'm going down the mountain, and I'm just crying like a baby. And I'm thinking, I don't want to leave these hills. They've been a part of me. And you know, because you are mountaineers too, these mountains get in your system. And, and of course, God in His grace has allowed me to be in these, these mountains for most of my ministry after growing up. It's such a beautiful place. And it's such a reminder of God. And as I look around me, God speaks as I see the beauty of what he has made. I'm in Psalm 19. It says, The heavens tell the glory of God and their expanse declaring the work of his hands. And in the message, I think that's uh, Psalm 19 verse 2, it says, Madam Day holds classes every morning and Professor Knight lectures each evening about the beauty that's around us. In Romans 1, we are told, that God has made plain his existence. In verse 20, it says of Romans 1, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. When we look around us and we see what God has made, we know that God exists. That is what naturally comes uh, within our hearts. I heard a podcast. It's been a while back now. To me, it was very fascinating. This guy was written a book on his concept was we just automatically know God is there as a child. And uh, we get it beat out of us as we get older and, you know, people's, you know. What? What are you thinking? But if you get a small child, when they first get big enough to speak, they know God's there. And anyway, it was a very, very interesting con concept, I thought. Um, well, say, let me move on here. Moving from creation, second way God reveals himself is through revelation. And, of course, by that I mean the book of revelation that reveals himself to us. I, I love Proverbs twenty nine eighteen uh, In the King James, it tells us, um, without a vision, the people perish. I, I think it's interesting, though, in, in some of the other translations. Uh, I like the insight it gives because it says, without revelation. Let, let me read it because I haven't memorized it in, like in the NIV. It's Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, I believe. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. In other words, where there is not a revelation of God, we push God aside 
and live as if God is not there. But blessed is the one who keeps the law. Blessed is the one who lives as if God is there. In the translation there. 2 Timothy 3.16, a verse we often quote in regard to Revelation. I love it. It says, um, all Scripture is God-breathed. Some translations, it says God-inspired. I like God-breathed. Because it is a picture that it comes forth from His mouth. His holy breath. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And it goes on to say, so that the man and woman of God may be equipped for every good work. God reveals himself in here. And when we try to understand God and it does not agree with what he reveals to us in his book, then we have a wrong concept of God. It is here that we see God as he truly is, as he truly reveals himself to us. But even here, this is not the full extent of who God is. I love what John Calvin, he used to call the Bible God's baby talk. Why? Because we can only take this much, you know. I love, I remember years ago hearing um, oh, Adrian Rogers. He was talking about when he first came to Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis. The guy that was before him, he was a well-known Bible scholar and preacher. can't remember his name now, but he was talking to him. He said, I am so humbled to follow you. You have such an incredible intellect that God has used in this church. And he said, if, if I can just do just a, a small portion of what you have been able to do. And evidently this guy had a big, great sense of humor. He looked at Adrian and he said, well, son, he said, uh, God will lead you. He said, but that, that would be like trying to stuff a grand piano into a tiny closet. And to be able to fully understand God, what we have written is what He's revealed. But that doesn't mean that's the total depth of God. Like it talks about Jesus. You know, it ends the book of John. And it says, there's just not enough room to write it in all the books that exist about Jesus. And about God and the fullness and the depth of who He is. We just get a little taste of that. And a beautiful taste that is. Um. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. It's one of the prayers of Paul as he is praying for the people. Here's the prayer he offers. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And, And how did he pray? He said, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, I want you to give them the knowledge they need. The spiritual wisdom, understanding they need. And he says, pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints with a kingdom of light. He said, ask God to show you himself. As you get on your knees and you bow your heart before him, say, God, I need you. I need to know you, God. Show yourself to me. Chester Nez uh, was the last uh, living team um, from World War II uh, 
group of Navajo Indians that actually were a very important part of us being able to win World War II. Matter of fact, a missionary to the Navajo suggested this because the Navajo language is extremely complex. They don't have a regular alphabet, and very few people outside of Navajos are familiar with the language at all. And so they would use this as a secret code through the whole uh, Pacific region, uh, uh, everything that happened there in World War II. And from 1942 to 1945, they called them the Code Talkers. And these code talkers were able to communicate in a way no one else could understand except the few who had the inside meaning and inside language. And here's the inside meaning that we have. And he calls us to pour through this book on our knees and to seek him with a hunger and a thirst. Let me move on here. Another question. Uh, What are some benefits of studying God. Well, this is not exhaustive. I just want to share a few. First benefit is wisdom. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You get to know God, you see how to live. Wisdom is, I like to define it as, the, spirit, as the, ap, the spiritual application or the application of spiritual knowledge. Get my own definition down here. The application of spiritual knowledge. In other words, it's taking the truth of God and putting it into daily life. So you can make straight A's and still be dumb. You ever met somebody like that? They're so smart, but you did what? Um, but God supplies a wisdom, man, it works. It's not just head knowledge. It's a practical way to live that uh, is fulfilling. Secondly, he offers direction as we become more acquainted with God. In Second Peter, the first couple of verses, uh, we read, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As we get to know him, there's a peace and abundance. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That power is available to us so that a godly life in the knowledge of him can be lived. And it's for his glory. It is for his goodness. J.I. Packer in one of his books. uh, Used this illustration. He said it would be like dropping into one of these jungles. Like say in the Amazon. Where you know these people are certainly outside of modern civilization. And to take a guy out of there. You know bone through his nose and everything. And drop him in the middle of a city. And then say you're on your own. That'd be crazy wouldn't it? He said, to live here without God, without the knowledge of the Holy One, without His wisdom, without knowing His love, with not being aware of the gospel. It's like being dropped in an impossible situation where you feel hopeless. We need God. 
That's the basic truth. And to disregard him is to be dropped in a place where you will be without hope. Another one is fruitful living. As I said in Colossians 1, 9 and 10 in that prayer. He's called us to live lives that produce fruit. And of course, uh, what's he say in that famous John 15, 5? Um, he, he talks about him being the vine and, and we're like branches. And uh, Apart from us, we can do what? Nothing. He bears fruit through our lives. A couple of truths Tony Evans gave in uh, his uh, commentary. He said, first, fruit is never born for itself. It's always born so that someone else can enjoy it, so that someone else can take a bite. That's how Tony put it. In other words, the fruit that comes out of your life, it's not merely for you. It's so that someone else can be blessed. Second truth Tony shares in that commentary, he says that fruit always reflects the character of the tree of which it's a part. You know, if it's an apple tree, then you're not going to get cherries and on and on. But the tree of life, the tree of Jesus, that is the fruit that is produced in us. Um, you guys know the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> that is what flows out of our lives when we are walking in the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, another byproduct of a relationship with God is courage. And boy, the Scripture's got several examples of that. Uh, of course, one I think about is those three young Hebrew guys. And... You know, they got in trouble with Nebuchadnezzar and thrown into this hot furnace. But there was a fourth guy in there with them. Remember that? As God would work to take care of them, but God supplied them courage. And this is one of the things, it's a great need for all of us. I am amazed and, quite frankly, often disappointed in myself with how big a chicken I can be. I have known God long enough. I shouldn't be such a chicken. Sad. I remember hearing a story uh, about a guy that he wanted to go to visitation, you know, to witness, but he was totally petrified. And so he went to a meeting where there were several gathered and they were going out in the community. And the speaker said, trust God in prayer. If you pray... With an honest heart before God. This will be a good experience. So he said okay. So he prayed. Man did he pray. And he came back and it was testimony time. And he was beaming from ear to ear. And he said we want to hear your testimony. You're obviously happy. He said God answers prayer. He said I went to that first house. And I prayed. God don't let anybody be home. Don't let anybody be home. Don't let anybody be home. And I knocked on that door and nobody was home. And we went to three houses and three times nobody was home. <laughs> uh, you know, we make everything so difficult, guys. God wants us to walk with Him. And out of that walk, He just wants us to have courage to be honest enough to tell other people about that walk. What God is up to in our lives 
That's what he's after. Not that you have to be a, you and I have to be Bible scholars or have all of this information. I mean, hopefully as we're growing, we'll grow in the knowledge and understanding of God. But he wants us to take what he gives to us and to share it with others so that it may come, become spiritual fruit. That others may get a bite, you know, a blessing to partake out of that for somebody else. That's what God wants to do. And, and I remember nothing at that prayer retreat that guy said I thought was so good. He said, when you look in the scriptures and people ask for something, they ask for something because they don't have it. And he said, if you look at Paul, there were several places he asked for courage. We think of Paul, this brave guy. But that's not what Paul thought of Paul. Paul thought, pray for me that I will be courageous. Didn't necessarily plan on getting this far off on this, but I just know how I am, and I think we all have a little of that. May we pray that God will make us bolder? We're so scared, so easily. Um, I love Proverbs twenty-eight, one. I think it is. Um, it says, uh, "The righteous are as bold as a lion; the wicked man flees, though no one pursues." And I found myself so God, I want to be, you know, make me like a lion, not a little, not a little kitty cat, you know, just a lion, you know. Give me some courage, Lord, so I don't run before there's even anything chasing me, you know. And there's another one, Psalm one thirty-eight three, I think it is. I love it because in verse two it says that He is exalted, His name and His word above all things. Great verse. Then in verse 3, he has this prayer. He says, um, I called to you and you made me bold and stout-hearted. 138.3, I believe. I think it is. And so I prayed that. So God, make me, you know, give me some boldness, some stout-heartedness for you. Um, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, we read about Daniel's courage. He says, O Nebuchadnezzar, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. These are the three Hebrew guys. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then, you know, he goes on, and, and you guys know this, but I love it. He says, but hey, even if he doesn't deliver us, <laughs> he's still the true God. And you guys are just following an idol. We can still trust him. And then there is security that he gives to us. This is from Psalm 46, David giving his testimony in one of the ancient songs he wrote. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, through the mount, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Cease striving, be still, and know that I am God. There's a security in knowing God that no matter what we face, we are not alone. Have you ever thought about the fact that the more famous or powerful a person is, the least likely we are to have the courage to uh, meet them? I mean, you know, you take this principle, you think, well, you know, I want to meet the president of the United States. I'm just going to walk up the White House and knock on the door. Well, I wouldn't get to the door, they, you know, but... <laughs> Not gonna, I'm here to see uh, uh, Barack Obama. Barry, are you in? You know, I mean, there's just not that intimacy there. 
and there's a fear of, of this person is he's powerful. <laughs> um, he he has authority and he's not interested in me. he doesn't know me. He is not interested in me. Why would he want to get to know me? And that is what is so amazing. God wants to know you. He puts any world leader. Come on, you know. I'll never forget. I can't remember which it was. It was one of the atheists. And I'll never forget. Uh, Frank. Uh, oh, I can't think if he was a writer. A guy's a, he's crazy. But I heard him speak. And he talked about this atheist woman. And um, she was. She thought she was God. You know. I am becoming more and more divine. I'm becoming more and more like God. And he was telling this story, Frank was. He said, you know, up in the heavens, these angels are sitting there and they're talking. All of a sudden, you hear this. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Well, down below, she's yelling, I am God. I am God. And the angels are hearing. Man, just like we said in Psalm 8. Who am I that God is mindful of me? But that's what the story of the gospel is all about. I'm somebody because he left heaven and he came down here. And he revealed himself, God in flesh. You guys know the gospel, the story of the gospel. It's all because you and I matter. That he came, that he lived, and that he died for us. I close with these words of a a message from Charles Spurgeon in 1855. In contemplating Christ, there is a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is quiet for every grief. In the influence of the Holy Spirit, there is ointment for every sore. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling bellows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devoted concentration on the subject of God. The better we become acquainted with our God, the more hope. Okay, I am done. <laughs> Thomas, come and lead us in the song. Uh, so we've tried to communicate. The altar is always open. And... Uh...